hear your voice. Lord, be reassured today that, Lord God, you are very much with us. And Father, we ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. We're going to be reading together, church, from the Old Testament in the book of Kings. First Kings, please, chapter 17. We're going to be looking today at the story of a widow, a single mum who found much difficulty at the latter stages of her life, but she proved God um, in it all. And that's what I want us to consider today, how and very quickly things can change in our life, and very quickly we can find ourselves asking questions like, where is God in all of this? How does this um, make sense? And, and, and how am I ever going to make it through? With that in, in mind, our title this morning is, When God Doesn't Make Sense. I hope that doesn't offend you today. For many of us, I suspect, it'll make a lot of sense. When God just doesn't make sense to our situation. So we're going to read, as I said, from First Kings, verse 17. The theme today is entrusting God in the day of poverty. Being faithful in all seasons, not just when the bank account's full and everything's as it should be, but in all seasons that we would find ourselves being able to be faithful to God in the small things. And understanding this very important truth, regardless of where we find ourselves in life and what's going on within us, that God promises both to provide and to protect his people. Amen? To provide and to protect for his people. So let us read together, <coughs> excuse me, 1 Kings 17, verses 8 through to 16. <coughs> excuse me, there's that throat going again. So then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Arise and go to Zarpath, of Sidon, and stay there, for behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide food for you. So he arose and he went to Zarpath, and when he came to the entrance of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and he said, Please get me a little water in a cup, so that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called and said, Please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. But she said to Elijah, As the Lord your God lives, I have no food. I only have a handful of flour in a bowl and a little oil in the jar. And behold, I am gathering a few sticks so that I may go in and prepare it for me and my son so that we may eat it and die. However, Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go, do as you have said. Just make me a little bread loaf from it first. And bring it out to me. And afterward you may make one for yourself and for your son. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The bowl of flour shall not be used up. Nor shall the jar of oil become empty. Until the Lord, until the day that the Lord provides rain on the face of the earth. So she went and did everything in accordance with the word of the Lord. And she and he and her household ate for many days. Verse 16, the bowl of flour was not used up, near did the jar of oil become empty, in accordance with the word of the Lord. Amen. And amen. What a wonderful story. I seem to find myself standing in shops or in queues somewhere, and I'm privy to a conversation that really is not my business. Do you ever be there? You're just there, you hear people just chat. You can't help but just listen. Anything good to pick out of it. I don't want to go into the context of their story because it's not my business, let alone, let alone yours, I suppose. 
But I just want, there's a weak quote that one of the men said in it that I want to share that help, will maybe help us today. The conversation that these two men were having was to do with the topic of Christmas and the age of their children. You can work the rest out for yourself. And during this conversation, one of the men used this term with reference to one of his own. He says, keep believing, keep receiving. And I thought to myself, well, that's just what I'm considering for this Sunday. Keep believing, keep receiving. Now listen, I don't apply that to every area of my walk of faith, and neither should you. God's bigger than that. He's faithful. We're often not. But within this story, we're going to meet a widow who believed God when it was unbelievable. A woman who believed God, and as a result, God provided for her as he said he would. She kept believing, if you like, and therefore kept receiving from God. Elijah's ministry, just to help us understand the Satan, is around about the 8th or 9th century. He lived for 51 years, according to history. His ministry was mainly in the northern kingdom of Israel, of the divided Israel. The northern kingdom was ruled by a man called King Ahab. Do you remember King Ahab? Does anybody know his lovely wife's, or his lovely wife's name? Jezebel. Imagine having a wife called Jezebel. There's nobody here with a wife called Jezebel, no? It's good. Imagine having a wife called Jezebel. That would be an interesting conversation. But Ahab was married to this wicked woman called Jezebel. And this woman influenced her man in all the wrong ways. So listen, young boys and young girls, be, be very careful who you marry. Make sure you marry a good one. A good man, a good woman of God. And between them both, they promoted Baal or Baal worship and they corrupted the land of Israel. That's what they did in part. If one sentence could sum a man up, then 1 Kings 16 sums King Ahab up. Ahab was more wicked than any of the kings before him. That's what's written in testimony of that man. And because of this sin and idolatry that had come into this land, a drought was coming. Judgment had been passed and God had sent word through Elijah that as a result, no rain's going to fall. What I want you to see is this, that even in the midst of an ungodly nation, in a nation where sin abounds and is lifted up and celebrated, God's people and God's prophets can still be found. Isn't that encouraging? No matter how dark a nation may fall, God will always have a light in among it if we just listen. The word of God in these nations, although is often met with deaf ears, will still be heard for all who desire to listen and to obey. God promises those who, who listen to him and trust him that he will, he will lead them and he will guide them into that living waters of life. So amid, amid great poverty, we see that God promises to provide for his own. But in doing so, I want you to see this. In doing so, God often uses his own. And that's what we need to remember, church. That we sometimes want God to help this person. And maybe God's looking at us and looking at you to help that person or me to help that person. God often uses his own. You know, and as believers, we are also called to give out of our poverty to bless others. Now, we're not talking about collections for the church. We're talking about everyday life. God places us in many places where we can make a difference. And whether we are in a good place or a bad place, whether our, our bank is in abundance or is in poverty, we are all called to give out of our poverty, poverty as well as our abundance. 
You see, given out of our abundance, we can reason that in our heads. We can argue with ourselves and say, well, I've got this much, so we'll give this. But to give out of our poverty, it's a test that only few may pass. But the scriptures teach us that obedience to God's leading opens the door to the storehouse in heaven. And I pray that the Lord helps me see that more in my life. Trusting God to both lead us and to provide for us as very biblical church. And maybe you need that today. Will you claim that because that's for your life? Maybe you need provision today. Maybe the storehouse in your house is getting low. You pray about that. Maybe you need protection today. Maybe you feel there's things coming against you that are out of your hand. You, you proclaim that. That's the promises of God to his own. But there's a leading. Let us sense the leading of God. Look at verse 10. Because here we see Elijah, he's following the leading of the Lord. This is important. And don't be mistaken and think, Elijah, this widow got a, a knock on the door and God was standing there and he spoke to them audible. This is a leading. And we're going to see this. When God speaks to his people, it's a, it's a leading. It's, it's a soft, gentle voice. It's a, it's a pulling at our hearts. And in verse 10, we see Elijah, he's following the leading of the Lord and he makes his way to Zarephath and Sidon. <clears throat> Excuse me. And Sidon is the homeland now. God's drawn this man to the place we would not go naturally, especially as a man of God. And, and Sidon is the homeland of Jezebel. Jezebel. This is the center. This is the birthplace of Baal, of Baal worship. Now, if your own personal study, if you like to study, but maybe you desire to study, write down Sidon, right beside it, Jezebel, and you do some personal study in this. And what you will find is that this will lead you down a rabbit hole into the world that Elijah was stepping into. Into a world of sin and sinners. A world full of idols and gods. None of which was able to help the people of God. In the day of trouble. And that's what this, this whole text and context is bringing out. We can have all the false gods. That we desire but none will help. And that's what the context of Elijah is. It's not what we're looking at today. But there is a theme. We can turn to many things. But don't expect help in the day of trouble. From idols. There's only one can help. The living God. The Lord Jesus Christ can help lost sinners in the day of trouble. So Elijah goes to Sarpath, and when he arrives at the gate, let's break this down. The first person he meets is this widow gathering sticks. I don't know if you're a wee bit cynical or critical in your life. I can't help it sometimes. And the first thing I thought to myself is, what is the chances of that happening? So go to this land, which is over 100 miles away, and you will find a widow, the Lord says. This is the leading. And the first person he meets is this widow. And what I realized very quickly is this, that this is the providence of God. The providence of God. Don't forget, church, things in your life today might feel impossible. There's doors perhaps that you think are never going to open for you, but we are forgetting about one thing, the providence of God. What God has said he will do, what God has for us will come our way. I want you to notice the wording in verse 10, at least in the ESV. Look at what it says in your Bible. When he came to the, the gate of the city, what's it say? Behold. In other words, notice. Look at what's the chances. Behold. The widow was there. What I see is this, that this was as much a shock to the writer of this book as it is to the reader. You see, behold, look at what God said he did. God had promised that a widow would be there, and when he got to Zarpath, there she was. 
the providential hand of God at play. Do you know a person's faith is often tested? We know that as Christians. We will go through the wine press, the heat of the oven. There's many things as Christians we will go. And I was failed to be told that when I was first introduced to Christ for you. I was never told about these things. Thank God. Didn't need to know them. You find them out in due course by yourself. But a person's faith is tested. And if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, whether young or old, listen. You will be tested in your faith. God does test to see who are his. That's very, very biblical. And it has been said that, that only those who trust God, who, who, especially in the day where things don't make sense, and to follow his leading can testify to the providence of God. You can't step out and follow God without encountering the providence of God. John Butler says this. He says, favorable providence occur for those who do God's will, not for the disobedient. It's reserved for those who really trust God. Isn't that something, church? When it doesn't make sense, but yet there's that lead, and we, and we step into that lead and that call, things happen. The providence of God is there. So there's a testing in the life of the believer. It often comes when nothing makes sense. But listen, there's also a proving of our character. We mentioned earlier about young men and young women seeking good godly husbands and wives. Well, men and women, can I encourage you to prove who they are when they come to your door? Don't just accept face value. Take time. Test them. Prove them. Make sure they are what they say they are. And we see this proven process in verses 10 and 11, if you want to look at it. We see that Elijah tests this widow. I want you to see this. He tests this widow. And he does this to test her character. And what he does, he asks her to bring him a drink. He doesn't introduce himself according to the story. He arrives in the scene. He sees a widow. And he puts God to the test. And he puts this woman to the test. He says to her, bring me a drink. And this is the first stage of proving. Proving what? Proving that she is God's woman. And he'll do this by her willingness to help. If she kicks soil at him, closes the door, walks off, this is not God's woman. And as she went about without a fuss to get Elijah a drink, this is where Elijah begins the second stage of this proven process. I want you to see this now. He calls to her. She is mid-flight getting a drink and he says, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. See, this request would prove that this was indeed God's woman, this promised widow. Do you see that? This proven process would reveal both her character, the character of the widow, and her obedience to the call of God in her life. That's how God proves us. We can say we're people of God and we can act like people of God, but when there's a leading of God in our hearts and we refuse to do what that leading says, there's a challenge. We're not exactly proven to God. You see? We're not exactly proven to ourselves when we know what we ought to be doing. And this is the lovely sanctification process of God. He constantly works with us to change us every day. There's none perfect here, I don't think. Please feel free to confess that if you are, but we're all a work in process. Glory to God, but that proving comes regular in our lives. God tests us. And some say with this story, and I often thought it myself before I studied it deeper, that Elijah was somewhat ignorant in his way, wasn't he? But those who say this, and me included, we were somewhat ignorant of what the scriptures taught regarding it. Look at verse 9, do you see? And remember, this is a proven process and a testing of the people of God 
And there's two people here. There's Elijah and there's the widow. Look what it says in verse 9. Behold, God says, I have commanded a widow to feed you there. See, this widow already knew the leading of the Lord in her life. The Lord was speaking to her, preparing her to, to bless somebody, to help somebody. Specifically this day, God's man. And God's man here was discerning within himself if this is that widow that God had promised. And see, what I want, you to, what I want to say to you, church, is that we look at these characters in Scripture and we can sometimes think God spoke to them. But I want to take you and let you look through a different lens. See, God speaks to all his people. Each man and woman of God is called upon it many times throughout their life by the leading of the Lord to do the will of God and help another person. Remember that. Did, did, did you get that? God speaks to all his people. They're often called upon to do the will of God and to help another person. You see? You picture that story of Elijah and the widow if the widow didn't do her part. Or Elijah didn't do his bit. To see the different outcome. One we act of obedience. See, God is forever working in the background, church, of our lives for his will and purpose. You mightn't feel that today. It mightn't make sense to you today, but please believe what the word says. God is working in the background of our lives for his will and purpose. And Elijah was simply testing this widow to see if this was God's woman. And this reminds us of a very important thing. That the will of God is provable. The will of God is provable. Do you feel the call of God in your life today? Whether it's for ministry, whether it's for whatever you feel that God is doing in your life, you can prove that. We actually have taken our scene already. Then maybe next week we'll have another run about her around the pews. But this reminds us, church, that the will of God is provable. Not only are the people of God tested for their faithfulness to God. But there, there's this proven process that all Christians must go through and will go through. It's not optional, sadly. I want you to consider, just for a wee example, the office of elder. No pressure to the elders here today. This is a reference to the elders, that, 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 what the Bible teaches. There's much on this. This is just a snippet. An elder is not to be a man who's young in the faith. He must be a man proven. A man who's seasoned in service. A man who's found faithful in the day of poverty, the day of famine, when things don't work out. His character must be tried in the fiery furnace. You see, there's a proven. He must be able to stand when the heat of ministry is firmly upon his shoulders. You see, that's why he can't be young in the faith. How can a man only come to faith ever take up the office of elder and he hasn't kicked his toe off the door yet? Do you know? He hasn't got that thing spoken into him that rips him to shreds. There's these these proven things that God must bring us through. Why? To make us stronger. Church, that we can be glorified. Sorry, all the way around. He can be glorified through our weakness, through our, our day of poverty. Found faithful. Then consider briefly the deacon. Also must go through a proven process before they can be elected. They, they must be found to say there's many others, but just some simple ones is they must be those who are proven to be faithful in their service in the church. They must be have a good standing, upright in character. They must be a person who cares for their own family and as out of that overflow, care for the flock of God. You see, each believer also experiences an approval of the Lord. I don't want to go into too much, but one or two verses. Psalm 26 says this. Examine me, O Lord, 
and prove me. Prove me, Lord, to be the man that I believe I am. Prove me, God, that, that I am that woman that I want to be. Lord, prove me and test the reins of my heart. And Elijah sought to prove this widow. So she would go on, of course, to prove faithful and reliable and reap the blessings. But listen, church, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy for her. And I want you to see this. God did not make sense to her. And there will be times, if you're not already facing that, that God will not make sense to you. Do you get that? Our situation will not always make sense. In fact, perhaps the opposite. And she would go on to prove faithful, but it was it took work. In verse 12, we see that after Elijah asked for water and food, we see the position that this widow was found in. Now, this widow did not have a full bank. She didn't belong to a stately church. She didn't have a big car and loads of friends and family. This widow was found in a complete state of desperation and poverty. Look what it says, what she says, sorry. As the Lord your God lives, she says, I have nothing. I've only a handful of flour in a jar and little oil. That's it. She goes on to say, I'm preparing a last supper for her and her son. That's the confession of a single parent. I've nothing, I'm all spent. My next meal's my last, we're going to die and go on. That's her, That's it. That's all this woman had. Don't be fooled, church. Let us not think that, that the people of God walk and are float about in some cloud. This walk of, of faith is a hard walk. This faith in God is a hard thing to be proved. It doesn't come easy. And this widow had nothing left to give. And it's funny that God asks of those who have little or nothing to give, doesn't it? That means that 90% of us here who feel we've nothing. God asks us to give. I know there's some very wealthy people here like Mark Alistair and people like that. But then there's other people like ourselves. We get by. Does that mean that anybody's called more or, or less to give or to be faithful under the call of God? In case you don't know Mark, I'm certainly having a joke with Mark. In case somebody thinks he's a millionaire and going ask him for some money afterwards. Try him anyway. Test him. <laughs> but it's funny how God calls those who have little to give. And what I find personally is this. I'm speaking out of a personal man here, the flesh man. But whether I'm speaking to somebody in regards to salvation or the things of God, or whether I'm trying to help somebody in a practical way, I don't know how you feel, but I always feel that I have little or nothing to give. At least nothing that will make a real difference to a person's situation. And I suspect that some of you, if not many of you at times, feel this way. But what I have come to realize is this, that when, is that when we feel that we are all spent, that we have nothing to offer other people, it's then that God seems to be able to truly work in and through us. See, church, we are called to give out of our abundance, and there's some who struggle to do that. But the truth is, we are all called to give out of our poverty. Please just don't think money here. I mean, in every area, out of the overflow of our hearts, when we're broken and we feel that we can't pray for somebody or encourage somebody, it's out of this brokenness, out of our poverty. When things don't make sense for us and we see that it doesn't make sense for somebody else, we, we try to bless and encourage and, and, and pour into their lives, even though it doesn't make sense. See, in our poverty, God's hand is visible. Mark's gospel, we read about the feeding of 5,000 men, women, and 
no men and their women and children. And listen to what Jesus says. He, he tells the disciples to go and feed these people. Imagine. It's like me saying to Mr. Gray Collin, just feed all these people here before we go on to the rest of the service. It doesn't make sense. Imagine 5,000 people calling, feed them 5,000 there, take a break. You see, we, we, we over-fantasize these stories of the Bible. And Jesus tells the disciples to simply go and feed the people. And you know what they do? They do something that I do all the time. They start to count what they don't have. Do you ever do that? What I don't have. So God asked me to do this, but, but I haven't got this, I haven't got that. We need that, we need this, we need... I, I know, but I asked you to do that. I didn't ask you to count what you don't have. What about what you do have, church? What about what God has done in your life? What about the testimony that you have? What about them things that he's blessed you with? What about the joy in your spirit? The assurance of your faith? Think, think of them things. The blessing of your children. That there's so many things that don't make sense, but there's so many things that we have. Tangible things. And Jesus just says, just go and use what you have. Give out of your poverty and leave the rest to me. And I love that. See, for them at that moment, God didn't make sense. But listen, out of five loaves, two measly fish, no matter how big they were, 5,000 men and their families were fed. And then just to make it a wee bit more that it doesn't make sense, there was 12 baskets left over. Are you telling me that makes sense? If I wanted to be critical of the Bible, there's your story. That does not make sense what you've just said. Nonsense. The providential hand of God, church. What God says he will do, he will do. And if he says that he will do something, what we see here, and what we're reading in the book of Kings and in your life will be true, he will do it. You'll not be able to explain it, perhaps. But who cares? If he turns up, I don't care. As long as he turns up. And the people of God, we are called to bless others out of our poverty. I want you to note something. This widow was a believer, by the way. She wasn't just a Gentile pagan woman. She knew, we know that she's a believer by her confession. She replies to Elijah, as the Lord your God lives. And any man or woman who confesses that Christ lives is a man or woman of God. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ is Lord, and that God raised him from the dead, he lives you'll be saved. This widow was confessing to the living God of Israel. And here she stands as a woman of God, facing perhaps the biggest test of her faith that she ever had to face. She was about to share her last meal in the middle of a drought with a man she had never met before called Elijah. It did not add up. But Elijah does what God does to us. He speaks into our situation. And these words we speak over our lives because they're from God. Do not fear. Do not fear, child. Do not fear, church. I haven't got the answers, but I know one who has. I can't tell you how or what way it's going to work out, but the providential hand of God has already got it in his hand. Do not fear. But this test was about to get harder for this woman. Listen to what Elijah says to her. He says, first make me a little cake. Like if you invited somebody into your house and you'd only one bit of a bread left, and he says, well, could you just first make me that bit of bread and give it to me first and then look after yourself? It's, it's not how we do things. But remember, there's a proving. 
Butler says here that this was not selfishness on Elijah's part, but the testing, the proving of this woman's faith. For she had been commanded by God also. See, God tests his people, their willingness, their faithfulness, and what he requires of them. And that's the challenge, church, that we have to realize. Sleepy Christians would have a lot to answer for if we ignore the calling and the leading of God. You might look at the world around you and say, look at the state of it. What about the wee world that you live in? Are you making a difference? Are you blessing people out of your poverty? Are you bringing food to people who are hungry even though they've got much? Listen, when we act in faith, church, and give out of our poverty, you know what it does? It gives God's favor priority over the the situation that we find ourselves in. When we believe God and trust God, it opens up the divine favor upon our lives. We know this. We have to be reminded of it. This widow stood at the door of blessing or the door of great loss. And Elijah speaks the promise of God into our house, our, our life. And remember the leading of the God we're, talk, of God we're talking about this morning. Don't be deceived into giving your money or something into some head case that's speaking nonsense into your life. This is the leading. The following of God, you bless people as God leads, not out of our mind, out of our hearts, and out of the leading of God. And he speaks the word of God into this woman's house. He says, listen, trust me, for the jar of flour will not be spent. See, there's a promise. The jug of oil will not be empty. There's another promise. Until the Lord, the day that the Lord sends rain upon the land. Listen, church. Who God calls, he equips. And who he equips, he provides. So there's a testing of the widow. There's a proving of the widow. Then there's the the obedience of the widow. Look at verse 15. Look what it says. And she went. And she went. When God did not make sense at all. And she went and she did as a man of God said. This act of obedience opened up the door to divine favor. Not just in the life of the widow, but in the family and in the home of the widow. See, God chooses not, or desires not just to bless you, friend, but your family. And then ripple, you often talk about the ripple effects of, of faith. It goes right down through our generations, our children's children. They know the blessing of God if we would just act in favor and are in obedience to the Lord. And in the middle of this drought and famine, we're told that she and he, as Elijah, on our household ate for many days. But the jar was empty. But they ate for many days, as the Lord said. And you know, we're going to close here. But two of the greatest promises in the scriptures this. If you've got notes, take this down. This is two promises for your life. It's right throughout the whole scheme of the Old and New Testament theme. The two promises is this, God's provision and God's protection for God's people. But there is a wee condition. There's always a but, you used to say. And there's a condition that we must be faithful and walk in obedience to the leading of the Lord. We can't we can't do what the opposite of God asks us to do, church, can we? And, and, and expect them to bless it. We must be obedient, listen, in the day of abundance and in the day of poverty. I want you to notice that each day the Lord provided for the widow and her son and the man of God. He didn't fill her barns each day. I don't know about you, but I like to know exactly what God's going to do next week, next month, next year. I'd like to know how I'm going to pay for this, how I'm going to do that, how I'm going to reach this place. Do you, are we like that? 
Do you remember in the wilderness when God fed them the manna? Do you remember the people who gathered up, tried to gather up loads the next day for the week? And what did he do? He caused them to rot in their bread. He said, trust me day by day. You know, church, we need to get back to that. Trust in God for today. Don't worry too much about next year. We might not be here, actually. But we're here today. This is tangible. What we have today, we can make a difference today. And he would provide for, for you and me as he did for them. Consider the lovely words of the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Oh, how we forgot that in the land of plenty. Don't need your daily bread, Lord. I've enough food in the freezer to keep me going the next month. Forgive us, God. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. What's the rest? I shall not want. Paul also speaks of God's provision in Philippians 4. He says, but my God, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ. See, there's a provision and there's a promise of protection. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. Peter says, the Lord knows how to deliver the God, the people of God. There's a protection. So listen, church. This widow was a single mother. Do you know we sort of think that we see a lot of that sort of stuff today, people struggling. The Bible says there's nothing new under the heavens. We see a widow, a woman of God, she's saved, and she was taught something. She was taught something in her experience. And whatever you're going through, what I'm going through, there's a lesson in it to strengthen us and strengthen others. And she learned that the people of God are called to give out of their poverty. She learned that we are to trust God even when God doesn't make sense in our present situation. This woman, woman learned that as a believer, hard times would come. In fact, they're being expect, they're be, to be expected and they are somewhat normal in a life. This widow taught us that regardless of how old we are, for many years that we have served the Lord, that there remains for the people of God a testing to the faithfulness of our hearts to him. There's a proving process in our ministry. In our heads we might think we are Elijah, but in fact in our hearts we could be Jezebel. There's a proving process. There's a testing, not to cut us down, but to, to make us stronger. Yeah? And this normally happens to us when we are at our lowest. When things just do not make sense. Just going to ask the team to come, please. But you know, church, the biggest lesson of all is this. When we believe God, even when it doesn't add up, it doesn't make sense, it's called obedience. And when obedience is acted out upon, what this widow learnt and what she is telling us today that when she believed God, divine assistance was given to her. Divine assistance, church, please focus. The designed attention, uh, divine provision was given to her. Assistance. And the doors to heaven's storehouses were opened. Now, maybe your bank is low today. Maybe your food cupboard's low, but maybe your spiritual man's low. And wherever we are, whatever position we find ourselves in today, this is just a wee call to remember that life is not black and white. Don't believe the lie, but believe God. 
We believe him. We look to him and follow his lead. And he promises that the providential hand of God will provide. It will open doors that no hand can open. It will also close doors that are are sought out to trap us. But let us all remember today. Let us bless others with our nettle. And trust God with the rest. Bless people. Bless this world out of our poverty. Minister out of our poverty. I can't help but think ministry, our, our, our money has somehow destroyed ministry. Somehow destroyed it. When men who looked upon sick people sitting at the gates and asking for help, asking for money, and the men of God would say, listen, silver and gold, I have not. But what I have, they're blessed out of their poverty, church, and we can, and you have it. Let us pray. So, Father, I thank you for your word to us this morning. And Father, forgive us for our, our title this morning when God doesn't make sense. It's only a metaphor for our own hearts when we don't understand. Lord, we choose to um, try to work things out in our own strength and, and we question, Lord, everything that you're trying to lead us in. Lord, I pray you would forgive us. Lord, you would help us to trust you in them days. Lord, it just doesn't add up. And Lord, maybe for situations that we find ourselves in, that Lord, we would hear that still voice. But Lord, we thank you for that reminder. It's not that we, what we have that we're empowered to bless others. It's who we have. And we have Christ. We are able to bless out of our poverty. We're able to make a difference. We're able to share our love with others. We're able to help. Lord, you have called us, Lord, in poverty, out of poverty, to serve in poverty. Lord, what a wonderful God. It doesn't rely on us. It doesn't rest on us. God, them disciples took simple five loaves and two fish. And God, you blessed perhaps 10,000 people through their faithfulness. And Lord, we're still being blessed by such stories in these days. So Lord, over each heart, each life, Lord, maybe somebody's in that testing position today. Lord, I pray you would just, Lord, speak your promises into their heart. Help them through. Lord, maybe there's one being proved today for greater things. God, I pray that, Lord, you would steady their mind. Steady their thoughts, Lord God, they would know the leading and the provision and protection of the Lord Jesus. And Lord, over every heart, Lord, the most important thing is today, Lord, in our poverty that we know the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, for any man or woman, boy or girl today, that Lord is not yet saved, to have not just had their eyes opened on to the wonderful Lord Jesus, that Lord, this would be the day. And Lord, their, their poverty would become rich, that they would, Lord, allow the Lord Jesus in, that their names would be, Lord, written into that Lamb's book of life and divine favour would be theirs. And so, Father, we ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.